Well, hello and welcome to Grace Church. My name is Bob Bryce and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really thankful to be with you today. And I hope that you're finding new ways to celebrate the good things, even during this most challenging Christmas season. Because the reality is that we face all different kinds of messes today, don't we? Whether it's collectively or individually, globally, or inside of our own homes, the one thing that we never seem to be in short supply of is messes. But even in the midst of our challenges today, and especially during this time of the year, there also seems to be this, I don't know, a little bit of, uh, if you want to call it, human optimism or nostalgia that, that just tries its best to peek through. And I know that this is not true for everybody. Of course, I realize that because sometimes the problems that we face are, are just enough to all but totally snuff out the last little bit of holiday cheer. But this thing, whatever, whatever it is, this little spark of optimism that I'm talking about, this, this quiet little feeling that, that maybe, somehow, even unexpectedly, things are going to work out all right is a really powerful thing, don't you think? I mean, there's an entire TV channel dedicated just to this, for crying out loud. And I don't know if you know this or not, but now there's a wardrobe that goes with it. That's right. Not only can you now watch Hallmark Christmas movies 24 hours a day, but you can also buy a shirt or a sweater that announces this whole celebration to the world. This is my Hallmark Christmas movie watching shirt. I guess they even have socks now that say the same thing. Believe me, the internet thinks I need some of this stuff very badly. It keeps trying to remind me of this. And of course, there's nothing wrong with enjoying these movies or even wearing a uniform to do it. But my, my point is that there's a reason that these movies are so successful and captivating. And a lot of it can be wrapped up in this simple fact that we want things to have a happy ending, don't we? I mean, if you've ever actually seen one of these movies, it's really quite something. You know within the first few minutes how it's all going to go. There's like a discernible template after you see a couple of them. Like this big city woman goes home to this small town for some purpose, but then, then there's this unexpected twist. And she ends up finding love and staying in the small town and living happily ever after with the love of her life that she never even knew existed. Believe me, I've got a whole DVR full of these things. And, and when I suggest to Tammy that, well, this is pretty much the same movie, just with different characters over and over again, it really doesn't go well. Because the point is that regardless of the fact that you can see the end of the movie from the beginning, these things like just seem to have a way of sucking you in like a tractor beam. I'll admit that I even start watching it before I even realize what's going on. Because the reality is in the middle of the messes and the stresses of all of our lives at this moment, this kind of movie, this kind of story portrays this thing that we really want. To, to, to know that everything is going to work out in the end. That, that if we just were able to, to, to face the challenge of the world armed with just the right cup of peppermint hot cocoa everything would somehow be all right. Well, today we're going to take a look at a story of a young woman named Mary. Specifically, 
at some of the events leading up to the birth of Jesus. And now, if you've been in church for any length of time, you, you've likely heard this maybe even dozens of times. But even if you're new to church, and this is your first time participating in a worship service, this story is probably going to sound familiar because it's, it's found its way into all different pieces of our culture. Uh, and so it's probably going to sound at least somewhat familiar, no matter where we're coming from. And I hope today that we can spend some time hearing, even if it is familiar, the words uh, with, with new ears of faith. And we, we just ask for God to give us a deeper and a more meaningful understanding of, of what the true miracle is of Christmas. But before we dive in and, and get to it, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together as your body, the body of Christ. We ask, Lord, that now in these moments that you illuminate our hearts and our minds and give us ears to hear and the faith to believe the true, the true meaning of Christmas, Lord. That we understand more about who you really are and what you came to do and are still doing for us right now today. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy and your forgiveness. And we ask that you be with us now in this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And today we're going to be looking specifically at verses 26 to 38. Now I'm going to read it first and then we'll go back and highlight some important things that I'm guessing that we may have skipped over or missed or maybe didn't know before. And if you're anything like me, I, I think that you'll find that every time, even if it's familiar, every time we go through this, the Lord seems to reveal a new depth of truth about something in here that, that has the power to change our relationship with God uh, and our relationships with uh, one another. So let's start Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive in, is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary, Dan Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, just to give you a little background here, remember last week we talked all about this guy we call John the Witness, or John the Baptist, as he's called in the other Gospels outside of the Gospel of John. But we talked about how this John came as someone who testified or pointed people to Jesus, and how we're called to do the very same thing, to be witnesses and to point people to Jesus. 
Well, the first part of our scripture reading uh, starts talking about Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother. And the first part of uh, Luke chapter 1 talks all about this, all about these details. Because this birth uh, of John the Baptist was a miracle. Uh, John the Baptist, his birth was promised to his elderly and childless parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. And an angel named Gabriel who we hear about in our reading today, came and told Zechariah, and Zechariah was a priest in the temple serving in Jerusalem, that that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a child, even though up to that point they had been unable to have children, and Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years. But the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that this was for sure going to happen, and that when it did, they were to name him John, And he would grow to be the one to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And that's the John that we talked about last week. But then right here in Luke chapter 1, it shifts then to another, another miraculous account of a miraculous birth that in some ways might it, I don't know, at least sound similar, uh, but in one particular and major way, This that we're going to talk about today was absolutely one of a kind. Something that the world had had never seen before and has never seen since and never will see again. Take a look at verse 26 again. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And so right off, we see that these two birth stories are connected. They're not only connected because they're told one right after another in Luke's gospel, but we have the angel Gabriel in both. And they're also connected because Elizabeth and Mary are related somehow. And we see this a little bit later in verse 36. And, and some scholars say that they're probably cousins, which which may very well be, but but scripture here just tells us that they're relatives and leaves it at that. However, unlike Elizabeth, who was more advanced in years, as they say, and living in the big city of Jerusalem, Mary was just a young girl living in a small town called Nazareth, a farming community, and she was most likely only about maybe 13 or 14 years old. And the text says that she was engaged or or pledged to be married to this man named Joseph. Now, this might sound a little crazy to us, getting married at at 13 or 14 years old. But that, that was the status quo at the time, even though I can't personally imagine this. Uh, I mean, I know what I was like at 14. I don't know about you, but not to mention, I have a 14-year-old right now, and he can't even remember to take garbage out. So this whole idea just blows my mind. But But the point is that Mary was much younger than we typically think she was, which means that as a young and an unwed woman, she was also a very vulnerable member of society. But you'll notice that it says that she was pledged, or some other translations say engaged. Uh, That's what we we talk about in our translation, the the NIV, uh, to this guy named Joseph. But this is not the kind of, you know, fairy tale uh, engagement like we might see in a Hallmark movie. This is like two families that got together 
and essentially signed a contract. They made a deal. Uh, the ESV uses the word betrothed. Betrothed, that's not only kind of a mouthful to say, but it sounds very serious. Because, uh, I mean, if a couple came to you today and introduced themselves and said, hey, we're betrothed to one another rather than engaged, you'd probably right away think, well, this sounds very serious, right? My point is that it wasn't like we often think of as an engagement, at least the way we do uh, in today's culture in the United States, which is kind of more like, well, gee, I sure hope it works out and we end up getting married at some point. But if it doesn't, ah, shucks. But then again, you know, in other parts of the world, even today and in some cultures today, this, this maybe doesn't sound all that unfamiliar. There's still arranged marriages and more formal agreements that happen between families when it comes to marriage. But it's important for us to know that in Mary and Joseph's time, to be betrothed to someone meant that there was an, a very real legal obligation that was created between the two families. There were promises made. There was a, even a little ceremony. There were gifts and money exchanged. Uh, and, and then there was the waiting period, which is very, very interesting. There was a waiting period for up to a year where the couple was considered to be husband and wife, even though the marriage was not official and it had not been consummated, and they were actually not typically allowed to even be close to one another. They could only see and talk to each other from a distance uh, because this whole thing was to make sure that the woman was not pregnant. Nobody wanted any surprises. This was a big deal. And if, if the woman was found to be pregnant, there were penalties and there were fines. And if the contract was broken, this was a major disgrace. Uh, not to mention that people, you know, the rumor mill gets going and all of a sudden the whole town knows and Mary's from a small town. So, so this is a lot bigger deal than it might seem to be, at least at first. And, and so all that to say that when this angel Gabriel showed up and started talking with Mary, what he was actually talking about with her is even a bigger deal than we maybe have considered in the past. Because all of it, has potentially serious consequences that go well beyond what we might initially understand. And we're going to look deeper into that, but, but before we do that, I want to take a look at this strange-sounding greeting that the angel Gabriel has for Mary in verse 28. Take a look at verse 28 again. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, this sounds strange, and it is most unexpected. Matter of fact, the greeting itself, this strange greeting, took Mary off guard even more than the fact that this angel had showed up to talk to her. Think about that for a minute. Uh, but look at verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. It doesn't say she was troubled with the angel. It was, she was troubled with what he actually said when he greeted her. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. It's very interesting. But in order for us to get to the heart of what has 
shocked Mary here about this greeting. We've, we have to go beyond what we can just see in English. We have to look at the Greek and understand what this Greek word that's translated as highly favored really, really says. Uh, and that phrase, uh, highly favored, doesn't really do it justice. It doesn't really capture the true meaning because when we hear that Mary is highly favored, we're likely tempted to think, well, that must have something to do with her. So something about who she is or some great thing that she's done. Or, or uh, we might think that there, there must be something. There's got to be something. It must be something that is unique or special about her. Something that she's done in order to earn or gain this favor. For her to be highly favored was most unusual. It surprised her, surprises us. But this particular word is only used twice in the entire New Testament. And both times it means that God himself is the one who is extending this special kind of grace that only he can give to someone else. In this case, that's Mary. She's highly favored not because of something in her or about her or an attribute or she's really nice or something that she's done. It's simply because God chose her. God elected her through his grace. And this was a gift that was given to Mary for no merit of her own. And so that's the first of three key takeaways that I'd like for us to focus on today. And so the first one, I already said it. First one is election. Election. Now, I know the word election right now in our nation's history causes a lot of feelings to bubble up for a lot of different people. But the kind of election we're talking about here doesn't require any uh, voting. It doesn't require counting or recounting or re-recounting. There are no campaigns and no courts. It only finally and completely depends on God alone. Mary is chosen by God, not by her merit, but only by God's grace. And this is good news, not just for Mary, but for us today as well. Because when we know who Jesus is, and when we trust him, and when we follow him, then God extends that very same grace that he gave to Mary to us as well. And so in other words, in Jesus, God favors us, God chooses us, and God is for us. In Christ, in Jesus, God favors us, he chooses us, and he is for us. And hearing this is always a little bit startling and a little bit surprising, isn't it? I mean, I guess I, if I would have started off this message by saying, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You'd most likely start kind of looking around wondering, who am I actually talking to? Well, he certainly can't mean me, right? Because I don't, didn't do anything to deserve this. Because when you hear this good news that, that in Jesus that God has chosen us, our first reaction is typically a lot like what we see here with Mary. Well, what in the world? Why? Why would God choose me? Why would God say that he favors me? I've not done anything to deserve this. So what have you done to deserve this? Nothing. 
Absolutely nothing. There was nothing special or significant about Mary that caused her to be chosen by God. He just chose her. It was his will. We've said this can raise a lot of questions in our minds. And of course, it did for Mary as well. And so that's the second thing I want us to look here at is it's, there's confusion. Oftentimes in these situations, we find ourselves confused. Not only we're asking, well, why did God choose me or why does God favor me? But then we also start to ask, well, what does God want from me? I mean, what's really going on here? What does he want from me? In Mary's case, the angel Gabriel tells her not to be afraid because God's grace, this, this special grace that God has extended to her is, is a very good thing, not a bad thing. But then Gabriel starts laying out the plan and telling Mary what's about to happen. And she is understandably confused by all of it. Uh, take a look again at verse uh, 31 here. Gabriel is telling Mary what's about to happen. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, obviously, with this information, we can understand why Mary is confused, right? Remember, she's a small town 14-year-old girl, probably from a farming community, betrothed to a carpenter named Joseph. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this angel shows up and starts talking crazy about how she's been chosen by God and she's going to bear the most important child of all time, all time, past, present, and future. A child who will finally fulfill all these promises that God has made hundreds and then even thousands of years before. The son she will carry in her body, in her womb, and give birth to would not just be any regular son, but the son of the Most High, the, the promised one who will, now did you catch this? Because we've talked about this for several weeks now, who will sit on the everlasting throne of David forever and ever. He fulfills this promise made to David for this everlasting king. In other words, this is not just a normal, regular, everyday human baby boy, but is God himself in the flesh. God himself coming in the flesh. And this is quite a mystery. It's quite a mystery indeed. It was then for Mary. It is for us today. But I think it's interesting that Mary doesn't really seem all that thrown off by this. As, as much as she really wanted to know, okay, well, if that's what's going to happen, then how is it going to happen? Take a look at verse 34. She says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Now, there are two things I think are really interesting about that question from Mary. First off, you know, she's betrothed to Joseph and therefore is not even able to be close to him, much less be in an intimate situation. But notice that Mary's assumption in her question here is that this plan is starting now. This plan is taking place now, not, not sometime in the future, not with Joseph, but it's happening now. It's not after Joseph and, and she are married, but she's going to become pregnant and it's going to happen very soon. And so she already knows based on how she asks 
that this is going to take a miracle. She knew that this was going to require a miracle. But at the very same time, she also obviously knew that becoming pregnant during this time of betrothal, where, the, where Joseph and her are separated, and knowing that the whole thing is to make sure she's not pregnant, well, all of a sudden, if she is pregnant, there are going to be potentially huge consequences for that. Remember, if there's, if there's a pregnancy during that period of time, it's considered a breach of contract. This is a formal, uh, not just a handshake, this is a formal contract. The marriage deal would then be broken. There are going to be penalties and fines as a result. And for a small town, ordinary young woman like Mary, she knew that this could all get really messy really quickly. This is risky. This is uncomfortable. And it's even scandalous. Now, I want you to just take a moment and, and think about your own life right now. And think about the things in your life that are messy. Could be a lot to choose from at this point, right? But I want you to think especially about the things that God has asked you to do right now or in the past. Or, or maybe God is asking you to do something uh, right now in the future. But think about that because I don't know what your experience has been, but God has never asked me to do anything that wasn't messy. It's not easy to follow God into situations that you know are bound to be messy, is it? Which is a fascinating part about this God that we serve. He doesn't promise us that it's just going to be easy street. He doesn't even promise at all that it's going to be easy. Matter of fact, he promises the opposite. But he also does promise us that he will be with us. In other words, God does not avoid our messes. He enters into them. He does not avoid our messes. He enters into them. And that's, that's a miracle that's even bigger than Mary being the one to bear the Son of God. God does not avoid the challenges and the struggles that we face. He breaks into them. He doesn't wait for things to be right or for us to get things figured out before he shows up. No, he shows up surprisingly. He breaks in right in the middle of the messes and the stresses that we have in life to do the things that only he can do. And that is truly amazing. Because it means that we have a God who is not at all afraid to get his hands dirty. In fact, he's an all-hands-on-deck God when dealing with our messes. And the biggest of all of our messes is sin itself. Because here's the thing. Since our first parents, Adam and Eve, since our first parents sinned and they turned their backs on God and they tried to do things their own way, this problem of sin has infected God's good and wonderful creation ever since. And therefore, you and I were born as sinners into a sinful and broken world full of messes. But God didn't want it to be that way forever. So in order to free us from this sin and all of its penalties, once and for all, God came to us in Jesus, born as a human baby. Yes, born as God in the flesh, but, but also as a diaper-dirtying human baby. 
so that he could do something entirely new in the middle of all of our brokenness. He came as a new creation, carried in Mary's womb, and he came in order to create us anew as well. So, so that when we, when we trust him and when we follow him, then, then he makes us a new creation as well. There is no other God like this ever, and there never will be. He doesn't avoid our messy world. He, he enters into it. And in Mary's case, this is how he entered into it. In verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now that language, I want us to think about that language. That language that's used right here is creation language. Just like at the beginning of Genesis, where it talks about the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters during creation. Well, we see this same kind of thing. The Spirit of God will overshadow or envelop Mary in such a way that the new creation will be contained inside of her very own body. In other words, Mary's body itself bears witness to what God thinks of human beings once and for all, and, and, and shows us the lengths he's willing to go to prove it. All of this seems completely impossible, doesn't it? And, and it certainly is impossible for us by ourselves, but it certainly is also possible for God because God can do the impossible. God values our fleshly bodies, our brokenness, all of our messes, to the point where he himself takes on flesh in order to save what has been lost and what is broken. And amazingly, God chooses this redemption and, and this, this plan of, of making things new, this new creation plan, to happen through people. People just like Mary, yes, but also people just like you and me. And therefore, as, as followers of Jesus, each of us has been uniquely created and also uniquely called to be a part of God's kingdom-building activity in this broken world. We can use a word for this. We, we call it vocation. And it sounds like a fancy word, but it's not. And that's the final thing I want to take a look at today is, is vocation. It really just simply means that each of us is given a platform or a, or a sphere of influence by God himself for God's purposes. And, and, and that doesn't mean, you know, this is, we're just talking about, uh, you know, pastors or, or professional uh, ministers or people that work only in the church, uh, anything like that. This, this means regular everyday things we do, our jobs, our activities, our relationships with other people, all of us have these in the world. And God has called us into those, this, this vocation, this what we uh, do and who we're about. He, he's done this for a purpose. So it was true, obviously, of Mary as well. She, she was just a normal everyday person like you and me. She was not a religious elite. She, she wasn't part of the religious establishment. She was just a regular person that, that God chose for a specific purpose. 
And so this invitation is for all of us. This invitation from God, this calling from God, whether we recognize it or not, you and I are invited to be part of God's redemptive activity in this lost and broken world, just, just like Mary was. But how do we respond to that? How do we respond to God's invitation? Well, take a look at Mary's response in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now that's about as sweet of a statement of faith as I have ever heard. Because Mary is well aware that what God is asking of her is not going to be easy. We talked about this. It can be very, very stressful. It can be scandalous. It has all kind of potential pitfalls and disasters. She knows that she's going to be entering into this time of messiness, and it's not going to be predictable. It's not going to be this hallmark ending that she can see in her mind. She doesn't know that everything is going to work out okay. She can only know enough to know that walking the next steps of faith are what what is going to prove her trust in God, and that God's faithfulness is what will see her through. Unlike us, who already know how this story ends. Mary had no logical reason to believe that any of this was going to work out. She only had faith that God would continue to come through and deliver on all of these impossible-sounding promises that are made only possible through God. So just like Mary, God chooses you. God chooses you and me right now, Right here, today, right now, in this moment, God chooses you because he's coming to you and saying, greetings, you who are highly favored. I am with you. Not because of what you've done or not even because of what you've not done. Not because of of your status or your income or, or even your attitude. God favors you by extending his grace to you through his son, Jesus. And and it's this Jesus who's born to this young, everyday woman named Mary. This Jesus invites you to trust him and to find your hope in him, not in anything else, and to be his kingdom-building instrument in this world that is, as we know, full of messes. In Jesus, in Jesus, God favors you. God favors chooses you, and God is for you. For that, we are thankful to God. Amen.